The Rural Health Voice, Episode 79, VCU Massey Cancer Center. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What health disparities are related to cancer in our rural communities? Dr. Robert Wynn, Director of the VCU Massey Cancer Center, and Dr. Maria Thompson, Director of Community Engagement and Research at the Massey Cancer Center, join me to discuss how those disparities can be addressed. Well, Dr. Wynn, Dr. Thompson, welcome. Glad to have you here. Oh, it's glad. I'm so glad that uh, you have us here, and I'm glad to be with you. Yes, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And Dr. Wynn, I want to have you jump in the way back machine. Why did you decide to be a doctor when you grew up? Yeah, you know, the the funny part about that is that um, I don't know so much that I found uh, medicine as it found me. Um, The true story, when I grew up, I was just thinking about becoming the youngest foreman at GM. Um, In my family, there were no docs. Books weren't laying around. That whole inspiration to becoming a doctor just wasn't there for me. Um, It turns out that I got lucky enough uh, to uh, get into Notre Dame. And uh, honestly, there were uh, two priests, Father Walter, Father Austin, who saw something in me um, before I even recognized it in myself and put me on the path to becoming a physician. In fact, the uh, true discussion was, you know, uh, uh, they said to me, well, I think you should become thinking about being a doctor. And I think I remember telling Father Walter and Austin that they were crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just sounded so far-fetched. Uh, but luckily, um, I think that when it comes to, you know, our kids in rural areas, small towns, um, urban areas even, um, there are kids and families where thinking about becoming a doctor or, or thinking about becoming a health professional just seems out of the realm of possibility. And uh, I think I'm one example of the reality is of having an opportunity of having others see something in you and, uh, and then you ultimately internalize and believe in yourself and get there. So that's how I became a doc. I wish I could tell you that I was so smart that I wasn't being a doc since I was three years old. That would not be true. I, I don't I don't know anybody that has a straight line career path. There's always some bouncing around. Oh, that's true. That's true. So if a student is considering cancer research or oncology as a career path, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I think the advice I would give them now that I would not have known back in the day is that most people are actually here to help you. Um, They're not here to keep you from things. They're here to assist you. Um, I would say particularly those kids um, in uh, rural areas, um, small towns, and, um, you know, some of the, you know, uh, you know, harder hit urban areas, that there are programs that are out there. Uh, It does take, you know, you looking. uh, But for example, at VCU, we have a number of uh, summer Uh, programs and programs throughout the year for both high school students, undergraduate students. Um, And that's actually true for University of Virginia, and it's true for um, many other uh, universities around. And so I would actually say that the advice I would give to a young person is that the reality is, even if they think they may not do that for the rest of their lives, just to give it a shot. Turns out that uh, sometimes by just being exposed to things, uh, particularly those things we don't know, it can open up a, a wonderful number of doors. 
What about you, Dr. Thompson? What led you to focus on cancer? So, you know, I, I was kind of trying to think about that um, after I heard you ask Dr. Wynn. I think for me, you know, in, in my house growing up, um, we had, you know, my family, my parents were some of the first in our family to go to university. And so for us, it was always, you know, that was really important. Um, you know, it didn't really matter what you studied, um, but, you know, take a look through the catalog and see what popped out at you. And so for me, you know, anthropology was the thing that popped out. And so I did an undergraduate degree in anthropology. And at the end, you know, I thought, you know, I really like a lot of this, but, um, I had taken some courses in medical anthropology that um, I just thought, well, this is interesting. Um, and so that led me towards public health. And then really the cancer piece came through mentors who, um, you know, really helped give me some different experiences and um, opened my eyes to some things that I hadn't thought of previously. Um, and so, you know, I think just echoing what Dr. Wynn said, it's really the things that you don't know that you sometimes find the most interesting. And, you know, you never know where you're going to get those ideas and those experiences. And so just as soon as something you find interesting kind of comes your way saying, well, what is that? And start asking questions. Is there something I can do um, and it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I have found in my experience, when you start asking people, you know, what, that's really interesting. Why do you do that? First of all, they love telling you about what they're interested in. And secondly, you know, people really are interested in helping. And so they will tell you what they know and, and they'll tell you what experiences exist. And if there's, um, you know, some training experiences or a workshop you can take or something that kind of gets you further down that path. And so I, I, that's, I, that's how I found my way to cancer was really just through my own mentors and, um, and just keep asking, well, what is this? Mm -hmm. And during your career, what changes have you seen in how we view and address cancer? Oh, man. You know, listen, <laughs> I, I think that that's a great question. So, um, and again, I may be showing my age, but I grew up in an era in which women did not talk about breast cancer. And some, unfortunately, died from breast cancer all the way to the grave without talking about it because it was somewhat taboo. I grew up in an era where men definitely didn't talk about prostate cancer. That was just something that you just didn't talk about. Uh, I've gone from that when I was a kid in my lifetime to actually having now the, um, I don't know, the joy of being able to see women and men um, bring about uh, cancer awareness in general. Um, in my lifetime, I've gone from, as a medical student at University of Michigan, uh, given the talk to lung cancer patients about, you know, we really don't have any medicines for you outside of cisplatin, which is a, a chemotherapy and the likelihood of it working, not super high, um, but it was the best we had. I've gone from that in my lifetime to now offering people with even advanced lung cancer therapies, um, immunotherapies, tar molecular targeted therapies. Um, I think I've gone with, you know, in my life seeing breast cancer uh, where advanced breast cancer used to be, uh, for women, a, a death sentence. 
And now we're um, really focusing in on how to have people live with cancer um, and even thrive. So in my lifetime, I have seen cancer go from the big C to a much smaller C these days. Um, the one thing that stays consistent, though, that is a struggle for me, is that at-risk communities, um, those in urban areas or even those in rural areas, that not all those miracle drugs and miracle um, accessibilities to the technologies are available for everyone as equally. But I have to say I have some encouragement that we are certainly pointed in the right direction and making substantial progress. Now the goal is in the 21st century, how do we get that progress, not just the sum, but how do we make it more accessible? And, and that's why I got in the fight of cancer. Well, let's talk about those rural disparities. What are the health disparities related to cancer that are specific to rural communities? Uh, listen, I'm gonna let Dr. Thompson. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna let you start off. Okay. Um, so I, I guess I guess when I think about um, some disparities in in rural versus urban, I, I guess I kind of start thinking about well, what are some of the risk factors? Um, and I think you know when I think about either risk or protective behaviors, I think about things like tobacco use. Um, overweight and obesity, diet, physical activity. Um, and so, you know, in, in Virginia, you know, we know that tobacco use is higher in, um, in rural communities as compared to urban. Um, so those are, that's the first thing that I think about. And then I kind of think about, well, you know, um, what about, um, screening or when cancers are diagnosed. And so, you know, um, are cancers being diagnosed early or at later stages? Because at later stages, you know, they're less, um, the outcomes are not as great as they are if you catch it earlier. And so what's important for that is screening. So for those cancers for which we have great screening, um, we can catch it early. Is there access um, to screening or do we have some disparities around um, whether or not people are able to access and get screened. Yeah, and I was going to say that the saddest part about this story is that um, that you can almost list almost every cancer and find out that rural communities are disproportionately being negatively impacted. Um, worse outcomes from breast cancer, worse outcomes from lung cancer, worse outcomes from things like uh, melanoma and skin cancers. The sad part about that for me is that when we say that there's worse outcomes compared to the United States or the rest of Virginia, we're actually also admitting that these are treatable cancers in many cases. Cervical cancer, definitely treatable. GI cancers, not only treatable, but preventable. Uh, theoretically, lung, prostate, breast. And yet what we see in our rural populations um, across the state, but certainly here in central, eastern and southern Virginia, is that there are certainly worse outcomes now, that may be due to some of those issues around behaviors that Dr. Thompson was talking about, smoking, obesity, diabetes, bad habits and diets. But a number of that is also due to the fact that we know that when it comes to these populations, um, sometimes care, just simple being able to do screening or just simple being able to get a checkup by the doctor is not so easy. Uh, and so one of the things that I really love about you asking that question is that it typically is a finger pointing thing about, well, those people in the rural area, if only they cared about the health, if only they did X, Y, and Z. Well, I think that that's such an unfair statement because the infrastructure's not always there for people to go to gyms, 
the infrastructure is not always there for people to have fresh, healthy meals. And so it is a complicated issue. Uh, but I have to say that, uh, again, you make a great point that we definitely have to come to grips with the reality um, that our rural, many of our rural communities are not doing well and they ought to be doing better. Yeah, one of the things that I talk about when I'm addressing health profession students is the fact that when it comes to cancer, rural people are dying of a disease that they don't have. And we don't have it because we don't get screened for it. And by the time someone figures out, it's too late. Um, and so I think that's, that's, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? Well, I mean, I think, I think some of that, you know, we have to think about, well, why? What, why, why aren't people getting screened? Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've, I've seen, um, that's, that's worked is, you know, having, um, advocates in the community who can say, you know, this is why they, and, and, and I say that they can say they have the time, right. To sit down and say, this is what mammography is, and this is what colorectal screening is. And here's why it's important. Um, and, you know, there's a conversation that can be had about where, um, that can be accessed and why it's important to do it. Um, what I, you know, what I've seen in some of the work that I've done is having somebody that, you know, in the community that can sit down with you and help to do some of that navigation to, um, into the clinic. Where do I go? Who do I call? Um, and then once I get the result, what do I do next? And so, you know, we've got these um, cancer champions who are just dedicated to um, being that touch point in their communities. And I think that having those individuals is really uh, um, a key step into um you know, really helping with the access to screening because those are trusted members of the community um, and they, you know, they're able to sit down and have those discussions that need to be had um, and and really help to say, you know, well, you know, at Massey, this is, this is who we would call. We can call this navigator and, and, and help to make those connections and make those bridges or even with a, a local clinic, you know, make those connections and bridges. And I think having somebody in the community that can be that touch point is key. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree. I, I think that there are a number of things that are contributing. One, that while we really talk a lot about navigation, it still isn't um, either from an insurance perspective or other things really well um, um, sort of reimbursed. I think we can talk about the fact that in rural communities um, that there has been as many of the businesses have um, uh, gone away in some communities. Um, the reality is um, some of the health systems have actually also um, not always uh, been able to be stable enough to uh, provide all the stuff. I will say that through COVID, what we have learned is that there are some opportunities that have not been explored uh, that I'm actually excited about. One of those is being able to, instead of competing with health systems, having a, and adopting an idea um, that why don't we partner with as opposed to compete with. And what I mean by that is, for example, if we have some specialty care here at VCU Massey, it makes no sense for us not to try to enable people to stay as close to their home to get their care. So the 
um, the dawning through COVID of telehealth and telemedicine, I think is a potential uh, way of reducing that disparity. I do think that there's a lot more pressure on people talking about multi-level types of navigation. The truth of the matter is you can send a navigator from the outside, but what works best is if you have people who are trusted people from the neighborhoods and from those communities or from the hollers that can actually partner with health system navigators and financial and social navigators to create a network and a team around an individual so they know how to get from point A to point B. The other thing I have to say is, you know, it it may not be obvious to most, but freaking travel is an obstacle to getting care. Um, The truth of the matter is you may want to get to Massey or you may want to get to many of the other cancer centers around, but if you don't actually have a good, solid ability to travel, it doesn't happen. And so I think that, you know, in 30 years ago, we may not have heard a cancer center director or a cancer center talk about issues of social determinants, for example, like travel. Uh, We may not have talked about navigation, and we certainly may not have talked about the use of technologies if even you have the broadband capability to do it in your town. But I do think that there um, um, is a voice being raised now to provide more broadband uh, around many of our uh, uh, rural communities so that we can maybe better access using telemedicine. There is certainly a loud voices and many loud voices now uh, bringing more attention to things like uh, transportation issues and um, also uh, issues around navigation. So, uh, you know, there, there's a lot more than that, but those are the top three. So what is the role of the Massey Cancer Center in addressing disparities? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and so um, I have been unapologetic uh, that of the 71 cancer centers, and most people probably don't know that, of the 6,000 centers around the entire country, only 71 have been what I call federally deputized as national centers. Virginia is blessed to have two, a UVA uh, in Charlottesville and um, VCU Massey here in Richmond. I think what we're trying to do is to um, do a couple different things. Where one, we had to assess the job that we were doing and in my humility, I must admit, that by having a little bit of humility, we actually had to develop a little bit of grace for ourselves because what we thought we were doing, we were doing okay, but certainly there were areas that we needed to do better. What do I mean? I I meant that we have a catchment area of which we have 66 localities. And I'll say to you that in, in, you know, outside of what people think about a cancer center, they, they think that a cancer center is nothing but research. And the reality is research is important because the research we do brings about the new treatments for tomorrow, for sure. But I think the first thing I had to do is to recognize that we needed to do a better job on our outreach and engagement. That's why I'm really happy that people like Dr. Thompson, uh, Dr. Vanessa Shepard, uh, uh, Dr. Masavel and many others, we are now starting to not just put uh, our lips in action, but to put dollars and resources in action for them to actually have a better partnership with folks within the uh, rural communities. I'm hoping that this is not an overnight sort of fix, but it will certainly take some time. But my goal is to make certain that as much as I'm bringing about issues on the new drug or the new therapy, new technology, I'm also bringing um, to people's attention and those who will listen, those even with resources, that we have a rural 
disparity issue in Virginia and in our catchment area. So number one, trying to bring attention to it. Number two, trying to bring resources to the table. And then three, figuring out what the right partners are to uh, really align with to reduce the disparities gap. That's what we're attempting to do anyways. And it's my understanding the Massey Cancer Center is doing some targeted outreach in Brunswick County and Danville. Why those areas? Um, Dr. Thompson, you want to handle it? <laughs> sure. So we actually have centers co-located in those areas in Danville and in um, Lawrenceville in Brunswick County. And so those act as a hub, right, for the activities that we're doing. And, um, you know, for the last several years, there's been um, efforts to really um, partner with the different community organizations in those areas. Um, and, you know, the Champions Program that I had mentioned earlier, we've got some great groups um, from those areas that we've been able to um, we've been able to work with. Um, and so, you know, using those centers as the hub, they've worked in a lot of different ways that have been really great. Um, you know, during COVID, we were able to use them as um, a place for telehealth to happen. So, um, not for um, accessing care, but for different um, trainings um, that community members wanted to do. You know, we had we were able to set up um, individual computer stations um, with um, internet access, um, and you know, I, I just um, I think that having those co-located offices has been um, has been a great kind of platform starting point to be out in the community. So, thinking more about those communities. The two of you are based in Richmond. How can you understand what's really going on on the ground in our rural areas? Yeah, I love that question. <laughs> so you, you cannot, I am, again, I'm a blue collar kind of kid. So I am uh, still of the, what I learned from my grandfather, my dad, and my, and, my, and my grandparents just in general. You can't understand anything from behind a desk. So one of the things that um, I have been trying to do is two approaches. The, the first, um, Dr. Thompson sort of mentioned, is that, you know, we have essentially places in Danville, uh, Petersburg, Brunswick, in these folks, uh, in these places like that. So that's one step. But the second step is to have the cancer center director see them. And so I have to say that I've been to Danville, I've been to Lynchburg, been to Brunswick, been to Petersburg. And in fact, I think um, what I recall is on one Sunday, um, I was able to uh, go into Brunswick, uh, into churches on Sunday and be able to meet and talk with people uh, about not only COVID, but cancer and other things. And so for me, um, I have to say that I think that unlike probably the traditional cancer center director who only thinks about maybe the new drug that they can develop at their enrichment, the goal is how do we do more than just that? So I think it's not only sending my folk out from Massey, um, but also having me travel is important. Number two, I actually also think it's important to make sure that the voices of rural communities are not absent at the table. In fact, uh, my, grandpa, my granddad used to say, and I'm sure he got this from somewhere else, but he used to say, if you're not at the table, then you're usually on the menu being carved up. And so it's important that I actually, as I'm going around and talking to different groups, 
I know some, uh, you know, folks have been around for a long time and they say, all I do is I go to another meeting, I go to another meeting. And that's probably true. But I always talk about the, the what is it, the, the Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. The wall didn't come down after they went around 10 times. It didn't come down after they went the 15th or 20th time, right? You ultimately have to continue to chop wood and consistently be present so that ultimately, just like the walls of Jericho, they come a tumbling down. I actually have to think that oftentimes our community members get really frustrated because they're like, I've been here for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, and I don't see any change. And I'm like, well, that is what Joshua and his guys must have felt like too around the, around the walls of Jericho. And that didn't stop them. And so what I am trying to do is to be very humble uh, in the context of being able to listen to more people by actually bringing them to the table um, through uh, groups like Dr. Thompson, Vanessa Shepard, through the community advisory boards. But I've developed the first in the country ever group in which we are bringing people directly into the cabinet of the cancer center director so that the director can be told unfiltered about what may be going on. So it's a sort of outreach, inreach sort of approach. Um, but some of this, the glue of this is that the fact that um, I care. Listen, my folks are from Remick. Um, and I don't know if you all are familiar with that, but, you know, if you go down West Point, then you get on the other side of Middlesex, then you're actually in the Rimlick area. Um, I, you know, I, you know, my folks grew up both in Virginia and uh, my, my grandfather's from a place called Coling, Alabama. So I, I, I and, you know, and while, yes, I grew up in New York, the, the funny part is my summers were spent in places like Jones Hill, Georgia, uh, Coling, Alabama, Remlick, Virginia. And so I not only understand the suffering that goes on in urban areas, but I am, I will say I am at least familiar you know, on a family level, but certainly familiar because I've been able to get outside the four walls of Richmond and travel to actually see with my own eyes uh, and hear with my own ears the issues that are going on in those communities. So that's at least what we're trying to do. And I think, I think you know, the point that it's not just a one, one and done kind of thing, you know, um, we've, we've worked to set up these partnerships with lots of different entities in the communities, as well as have these, um, have groups where we've created the, the space to come together, um, and have these conversations, not just once, but on a regular basis so that, um, you know, everybody, everybody knows if they've, if there's something that they want to discuss, it's going to happen, you know, the next time we meet and we, we all kind of know when that meeting is going to be. And so there's a few different options for these and it's kind of, it's working in some different groups on different levels, but it's not just one and done. There's a, there is a, a, a longevity to it. What else should community organizations serving rural Virginia know about the work of the Massey Canister Center? I think that if I really, what I would like for the community to, to understand is that in my, in my world, that Massey belongs to all of our communities. By definition, it's a state school. That state school says that we have a mandate to serve the people, particularly within these 66 localities that we see almost 80, 90% of our patients. That means that I'm here not just to create science, but I'm here to serve and to be the voice as best I can uh, for those communities and be able to get representatives from those communities um, within Massey so that we can do our jobs better. 
I'll have to say that we have sometimes gotten so enamored with the science that we sometimes have forgotten about the people that we serve. Uh, what I want people to know about Massey is that it doesn't matter to me whether you're from a small town of uh, 175 or 200 people, um, or you're from a big city that has God knows uh, 200 and you know 200,000 more people. If there is cancer, my job is to use the bully pulpit that I have at VCU Massey to a not only bring attention to these issues of cancer, but resources as best I can. And unfortunately, I wish I had uh, all the money in the world, but I don't. And so with the resources we have, it makes sense for us to figure out how to better partner uh, with people throughout our region to be able to have more impact. I, I think I'd also would want people to know that, you know, whether they are um, in a uh, very small, uh, you know, town on bordering North Carolina, uh, you know, in the South Hill area and all the rest of these other things, that for me, the reality is I am, I am, I just want you to get the best care wherever you can get it. And if that's close to your home, that's what I want you to do. But the reality is if there are things that we can do here in Richmond that can't be done and we can't partner through telehealth with your health system, I want you to not be afraid that this is your home too. Now we can certainly do a better job of making it feel like your home and we're working on that. But the reality is the cost of a life should not be measured in miles traveled. If we have something that could save your life and I know it's inconvenient as all get out and we can not only help save your life, but help you live to see your grandchildren, help you live to see your mom and dad, help you live to see your kids. The reality is that I remind people that distance and the miles, we should try to make that, I know it's a pain in the patootie, but distance and miles should not make, you know, one more vulnerable in the context of the life that they can live. And so I guess I just want people to know that Massey belongs to them. I'm doing my best in trying to figure out how to get that message out. And uh, Beth, you and many others who have been the true fighters, uh, particularly in Voices for Rural Community for a very long time, uh, who are really on the front lines, I actually also have to thank you for what you do for what you're doing with this podcast, but for what you've consistently done and really trying to bring the message that rural health matters. So last question, a question I'll ask all my guests, and I'll let Dr. Thompson go first. If you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? Okay. Um, what would I do? You know, I, I think... I think one of the things that I would do is really try to think about what are some of the innovative ways and some of the different ways that we could, um, you know, think about our programs and our services and how we build those out. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been trying to kind of think through a little bit better is we spent a lot of time um, talking about what what is not working or what um where the problems might be, um, what the risks are. And, you know, I, I think we could, when we're thinking about our programs and our, our um, services um, and our outreach, what are the things that work in rural areas that maybe aren't happening in urban areas? And how could we, um, how could we use some of the um, 
some of things that are working uh, to to make in, innovative programs. Sure, sure. We, what do we do right? And there's plenty of it. What about you, Dr. Wynn? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think number one, we, we have to be um, very pragmatic in the context that we understand that transportation is an issue. So I'm working right now with the American Board, American Cancer Society and others, but also making a voice within the state of how we can get more resources to communities, uh, particularly rural communities, so that when they do have to travel, we can make it easier for people. Um, the second thing is, I am uh, really focused on being able to provide jobs for folks within rural communities by way of navigation. And so one of the big dreams I have is once I correct, you know, identify the right partners, how do we actually hire people within those communities that can help be part of our navigation team and allowing people to not have their first contact be here at the hospital, but the first contact be um, someone that they trust within a rural community. And then I think the third part is, for me, um, really trying to push the governor and everybody else who's willing to listen that, you know, that this broadband issue, I know we tend to blow it over as if, well, yeah, okay, well, they have all the access to internet and stuff in a big city and blah, blah, blah. We should be equally angry, upset, and focused on making sure that all of us have access to good, solid um, broadband so that we can take benefit of some of these technologies. So those are the three things that I'm doing. And then the fourth thing is, um, I just think getting the message out better. And, uh, and, I, and I thank you for allowing us to have the platform to, to, to do that. Um, uh, but I think, you know, making sure that we can get our message out, uh, that that place, meaning VCU Massey, belongs to the people. Well, Virginia Rural Health Association will be happy to partner with you on any of those initiatives going forward. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. I very much appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. That's Dr. Wynn and Dr. Thompson with their plan to address rural disparities in cancer. Pride Month is celebrated in June but VRHA addresses LGBTQ health inequities all year long. Join us in Shenandoah County, August 6th, for our next Pride of Rural Virginia Community Conversation. For details, visit our website at vrha.org and click the Pride logo at the bottom of the page. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.